0: We'll Can you tell me what Periscope is?
1: Periscope is like a live video streaming thing that Twitter puts out. So Sandals Church Twitter is now broadcasting. Uh, so, people, so we are on the Twitter. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, exactly. We are on the Twitter. We are tweeting. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode one of the Debrief Podcast. I am your host, Justin Pardee, and I'm hanging out today with our campus pastors here at Sandals Church, uh, Andrew Bogenwright from Sandals Church Woodcrest. Hey there, guys. And Adam Atchison from Sandals Church East Valley. What's up, friends? We are super glad to have you guys hanging out here on the show. Now, Adam, you kind of recently made the jump from minister to being a full-blown campus pastor here. And I got to say, I feel like not only has your spiritual game just kind of leveled up, but your fashion game has really just, like, landed on point, man. Yeah, the
2: only problem with that is our listeners can't really see what you're talking about right now. This I, is. I could
1: probably take a minute to describe to them how just sharp it is that you look. I got some uh, Pumas on. But I won't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed, man. Yeah, all right. Pretty impressed. Good well, thank you. Good job. It's a spiritual level up and a... Uh, fashion one as well. So, hey guys, our whole point here, uh, the Debrief podcast, man, we want to really process and share uh, what it's kind of like to respond to the sermon. And obviously, as Pastor Matt's preaching, he's not just preaching to the church, but to those of us that are a part of the staff team, to you guys as campus pastors as well. So this last weekend was pretty incredible, man. At all of our locations, we called people forward for healing prayer. And I think. You know, there's obviously no way to figure that out, but it was an incredible, incredible response. What was that response like uh, up at Sandals Church Woodcrest uh, after the services?
3: Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, just numerically with 600 people in the room between two services, we had over 100 people come forward for prayer. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can do the math on that, which was incredible. And even more than that, we had been praying for the last three and a half years for a breakthrough for the people of Woodcrest. Um, one of the challenges for us is when you live in a fluent neighborhood, uh, it, it's challenging to get real with others. People don't want to seem needy or like they don't have it all together. And, um, you know, we have a room where the lights are on. We don't have cool blackout things like the right. main campus and everybody can see. And it was just such a win for that many people to say, hey, I'm not okay. And, you know, we had people with broken marriages and fit, need of physical healing and all those things. And It was amazing to see you know tear-filled eyes of people saying I'm ready to get real I'm ready to make changes Um, I'm ready to to let people know that I I need help and it was a beautiful thing to see our church rally together and pray together Um, it it was awesome that's awesome man East Valley is still fairly new as a church right just a couple
1: of months still what was it like out there
2: yeah, so uh, we have a phenomenal response as well. Uh, about 25% of the people in the room went forward for mm-hmm. prayer. And uh, what blew me away is just the, the various kinds of things ca- people came forward for. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, one of the most common is just epidemic in our culture, in our society, and that's anxiety and depression. Um, but that wasn't it. I mean, m- many people um, were willing to come forward f- for physical healing, um, for relational healing, for addiction. Uh, one of the Highlights for me was having uh, my 13-year-old son up front uh, pr- praying for people as well. And I mean, people would come up to this front sider with marriage problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I mean, he, he prayed for a guy who has three months to live. He's been told that he has three months to wow. live. Uh, and uh, so, so just across the board, just the variety of hurt to just really express to, to
1: me that people are hungry uh, for the healing touch of Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I even down here at main campus, I was hanging out on stage during that prayer time, and I saw a couple of our um, high school students come forward—not not for prayer, but to pray mm-hmm. over people. And uh, man, that was that was just really awesome. Um, so obviously, Pastor Matt was not just speaking to the people of our church, and the reality is we're we're a part of Sandals Church. We're there any parts of the message as he was talking about um, just the need to be healing and the need to be real about those things that stuck out to you personally or uh, maybe beyond just stuck out like that really just challenged you personally?
2: Yeah, so uh, one of the things uh, for me uh, that sticks out is I I love how – how how we focused on healing, but the first part of chapter five that Matt spoke to that we didn't read in church is this reaction of Peter to Jesus uh, that, that, man, I I can't even be around you because I'm too much of a sinner, and how the story of the leper brought that home in a very tangible way. I mean, as Mm -hmm. we we saw that image of that leper from India, it made it very, very uh, profound just the kind of thing that Jesus was doing to touch a healer, uh, excuse me, a a leper uh, in in such a Way that he's putting himself at risk is a communicable disease. Mm-hmm. And uh and I think it, it really uh undoes uh our conception of God uh that that we are are too dirty, we are mm-hmm. too unclean for Holy. him to, to come into our presence. And uh and so I love how Jesus um just really um Gave us a new insight to who God is. Totally. Uh, whereas before, uh, up to this point, it was uh, just we we. There's this response that we see throughout Scripture where where people are undone in the presence of God, and and it's I'm I'm gonna die. You know, I I just I can't even withstand the presence of God, and and to see Jesus sort of turn all
1: that upside down in this in
2: these two healing stories was really
1: powerful. Yeah, you know what I noticed when I got home? Uh, actually, on Sunday night, and I was jumped on Twitter. Sunday was World. Leprosy Day, like Leprosy Awareness Day, or whatever. And I just thought, how cool was it that that was part of the experience that we had as a church? Hmm. Uh, Really, really interesting. Um, Pastor Andrew, was there? What was your like personal challenge from this weekend?
3: Yeah, um, the last point of Matt's message was uh, healing happens when I do whatever it takes to get people to Mm -hmm. Jesus. And I was just thinking about how uh, how many people are in need of His healing and how little work it actually takes to move them forward. And I think sometimes for myself, you know, we're constantly caring for a large number of people, and it's easy to go, well, if they really want change, why don't they just move? But these men help their friend you know, by cutting a hole through the roof. And I, I just thought about how, how I can put forward the effort to move people to a place where they're willing to receive healing by just dragging them in or saying, hey, you need to be here. There's a few people I invited personally to come on Sunday because I knew they needed healing in their mm-hmm. life. And, and you know, people are spotty in church attendance. And so to make sure they're there that day so that they can receive healing uh, from God. And so I was just challenged to be more uh, proactive in my own faith in helping people receive healing, not necessarily just the people that come on Sundays, but even people I know throughout the community.
1: Right, man. That was the same, same thing that really challenged me. We, we actually got new neighbors um, just a couple of months ago. And I know just from conversations with them, they don't go to church at all. They kind of had religious experience, but they've said that that's like not really for them. And I've just kind of been in this place where I'm like, well, I just want to make sure that they really, really like me and think I'm cool. Um, so that they're are cool. not afraid, <laughs> so that they're not, I don't know, just not like don't have the weird church guy, Christian stereotype. And I was thinking a lot about them at the end as well. Like if I really truly care about my neighbors um, more than just trying to have cool uh, conversations in the garage or over the fence or out in the backyards, man, am I really willing to do whatever it takes to help them uh, reconnect with Jesus and uh, find a place for them? So I, yeah, that was hands down the most challenging uh, thing for me. Um, Pastor Adam, let me just ask you a question, because I know Mm -hmm. several years ago, um, we did a similar healing service like this. And um, just because I know you, I know you had a really powerful experience there. And what was different about that was at that time, instead of calling people forward um, for healing, I think what Pastor Matt actually did was ask people uh, to boldly stand up in Mm -hmm. the middle of the church where they were at. And then called the rest of our church to lay hands and pray over them uh, in the middle of service. Can you just Tell us about that, your experience you had.
2: Yeah, so the crazy thing about that in the summer of '09 is we were going through the Gospel of John in the series we called Light. Uh, Pastor Matt was preaching on the woman at the well, and, and at the end of that service, as you mentioned, he had folks stand up. And, and the craziest thing about this experience, this story that I'm about to share, is that uh, that's necessary to understand for the context, uh, is that I was still in the, in the throes of addiction. Uh, I was not following Jesus at at this time. I was attending church. I was listening week in, week out to this vision of being real with with others, and it was going through one ear and out the other. And uh, as I moved forward to to put my hand uh, on on this young teenage girl who, who I barely knew, Um, something happened that is very difficult for me to put and articulate into words. Hmm. Um, The the, the bottom line is is the power of the Holy Spirit moved through my arm in a a way that I had never experienced uh, before and and really haven't experienced since. And so uh, what that did was that prepared the soil of my heart uh, for this gospel truth that despite the fact that we are sinners uh, and, and despite the fact that so many of us can relate to Peter who's like no I can't be in your presence I'm too much of a sinner and even later we see that as Jesus wants to wash his feet he he, he, he still is resistant mm-hmm. and, and and he says no 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 it should be the other way around Peter's still trying to get this profound mystery of the gospel um, is that that's what didn't make sense to me in the most beautiful way and and I I think that that's what uh, opened my heart up eventually to uh, to to get real and, and to confess this secret addiction that I had had for over a decade mm-hmm. uh, to, to the to the one that I loved the most, which is was my wife, and so um, that was the the beginning of a of a, of a whole new path. That that was something that redirected the course of my life forever. Having grown up in the church, uh, having been saved for many years, um, I, I would say that that's that's where um, the journey of truly following Jesus—not just believing in Jesus, but following Jesus—began.
1: Yeah, and you know, from what I understand, you've actually you've shared your story with us on com. so mm-hmm. if you're listening in and haven't heard some of Pastor Adam's story just go to sandalschurch.com click stories and, and his is on there uh, that conversation where you confessed your addiction to your wife mm-hmm. ultimately led to a conversation where you confessed and met with Pastor Matt mm-hmm. which I think you know that relationship over time is what led you to be in the, the role and the position that you have now of uh, caring for and leading and pastoring the people at Sandals Church East Valley yeah. so that's so, so cool man. And,
2: and the one th- thing that's cool is that uh god heals us for our own sake because he loves us he he cares for us that's the the my my one of my favorite points from the passage this week was that jesus responds that he is willing but the but the awesome thing is that it doesn't end there he, he does that for our sake, but for so much more as mm-hmm. well. And so what, what happens with healing is often he's doing a, a, a redemptive work that goes beyond the healing. He, he's doing that for a purpose so that we can then share the story, so that we can then be one of those four friends that digs the hole in the roof and does whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And so um, that, that's just the, if it just ends with our own healing, I, I think we're missing the point. And so my hope is that for those of us who experienced, uh, had, had a powerful experience this past. Sunday, that it's the beginning right. of, of a new journey that that, that would then extend to, to others as we share the story of what happened this weekend.
1: Totally. Man, I, I just love that as you share that story, you remind us that that took place back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're creeping up on a decade ago. Um, I just think that's so great because, you know, when we say Sandals Church is a place you can be real, that's just not, that's not something we say or put on postcards or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. That's the truth, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you know what, if you're listening here um, and... There's something going on in your life, like Adam talked about, the secret sin. Listen, these two guys hang out at both Sandalsworth Woodcrest and East Valley every single weekend. They're super legit. I just would encourage you guys to, if you've got something that you are hiding with, uh, hiding or haven't shared with anyone yet before, we'd love for you to uh, connect with them uh, on the weekends.
3: Yeah, um, one of the points in Matt's message was healing happens when I'm ready to change And it was so powerful. You know, you think of physical healing, whether it's cancer or whatever, is a very obvious thing that needs healing. And I would say the most common thing I prayed for on Sunday was it was really – people who needed healing from their their sin. You know, mm. I had people coming forward, confessing sins that they hadn't confessed to anybody before and and just saying, I'm ready to be healed. Mm. I'm ready to change. And, and that readiness doesn't end just because we did a healing service on Sunday. I mean, right. it can be today, it can be tomorrow, whatever day, you know, you're ready. And God moved. And I text uh, with a few of them this week and they're already making changes in their life, already changing things for their family. And it's a beautiful thing to see when they're actually ready to, to make that change. So cool.
1: Well, thank you guys for coming on episode one here uh, as we're figuring out the debrief. We appreciate you guys uh, sharing uh, your experiences on the weekend and uh, your story as well. We uh, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Yep. That was great. I love the synchronicity of your voices there. Well, man, guys, if you joined us this last weekend at Sandals Church, it was really an incredible weekend at all three locations. I mean, you, Matt, were preaching from Luke 5, called people forward for prayer. The worship time was just incredible. And, man, we didn't really count or have any way to do that, but Mm -hmm. the response was amazing. I mean, across all three locations, we had hundreds, honestly, maybe even thousands of people come Mm -hmm. forward for healing prayer this weekend. Did you have any, like, just big takeaways or what stuck out to you this weekend yeah. personally
0: i think it, <clears throat> the first thing for me is you know the bible always says that that jesus healed the multitudes he blessed the multitudes and that's the first time in my life where i've ever felt like that adjective was appropriate to describe what i saw god doing in a church the mm-hmm. multitudes came forward and um it's just a beautiful thing and it just shows you <clears throat> excuse me how broken society is and how how badly people are hurting um you know, at the uh, 1145 service, it, it, the crowds were so overwhelming that I just had to jump down into the audience and right. start praying over people. And I was amazed at a couple things. Um, the first thing that was the most exciting to me was the uh, ethnic diversity of our congregation. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I think it looks like heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just beautiful. The second thing was the authenticity of the prayer requests. I mean, I had young couples just look me in the face, their pastor, you know, we're not pure and we need, we need prayer for purity. And I, I just appreciate that so much because that's the heart of our church is to be real. And um, there was just such great joy in praying over people who care more about getting right with God than their reputation. And I think that's when God heals. And so that was really cool. Just people hurting and um, you know, families that are broken and marriages that needed prayer, singles that needed a prayer. It was just absolutely awesome. Um, I got to see... Um, you know people just collapse when hands were laid on them and it was it was awesome you know right. and, um, it was it was just a really really exciting time for our church and I loved it so yeah I thought it
1: was so cool um obviously at, at the main campus that response was overwhelming and then just making that additional call for group leaders and then other mature Christians to uh, come forward and join us in in praying for people I thought it was really awesome to see people kind of respond to that we had a couple people respond like reply to us on twitter and facebook saying they came forward when we asked for extra help and that it was just a really cool experience for them to be able to pray over people and stuff and i think
0: that you know you know the miracle we talked about the miracle of the paralyzed uh young man uh he's not the only one that was blessed that day the four friends that brought him were also blessed and so i think the neat thing for people um in the audience was they got to transition from a viewer to a participant Mm -hmm. and they got to not just hear about God's mercy and grace, but they got to experience it because there's something powerful. um, And that's kind of what I was trying to talk about with the last point. You know, when I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, man, that's when I see miracles happen. When my life is all about me, what I want, what I need, what I need to learn. And, you know, you think about that house being packed out. Everybody was there, you know, pencils out, you know, scrolls, ready to take notes on the teaching of Jesus, but there were four people that were determined to get a friend of Jesus, and it's because of those four people that the miracle took place. Otherwise, it's just a great sermon, and we never hear about it. You know, We we probably don't know what Jesus talked about, and the Bible doesn't tell us. The sermon was inconsequential in comparison to the miracle that took place, and so um, I think that's, if we as a church want to see God move in radical ways, we need to asking ourselves on the way to church, who needs to be here? How do I get somebody here? How do I get somebody prayer? How do I help somebody? How do I open my home uh, so that Jesus can touch lives? And when that happens, I think God shows up in miraculous ways. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I'm just thinking,
1: you know, people came forward for prayer and, and really that was it. That was the kind of the end of their experience with us at church this last weekend. And we had people come forward for all kinds of reasons. Like you just shared, I mean, um, children with cancer, the whole gamut, you know, depression, anxiety, marriage, relational issues, all kinds of stuff. Man, what would you say to somebody who came forward on Sunday morning or maybe Saturday night at main campus to be prayed over and now it's like two or three days later in the week and they're just kind of wondering what that was about? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is there an encouragement that you would bring?
0: Yeah, I would say that, you know, the first step to healing is always honesty, being honest and saying I need help. And so um, that's why I try to share my story, my experience, um one guy uh I can't remember if he tweeted me or texted me, but he went forward for prayer and he said he said, Look, nothing happened. And I and I said, Look, man, miracles are called miracles for a reason. Mm. And I think that's something that we need to keep in the forefront of our understanding of the work of God is that miracles aren't guaranteed. They don't happen all the time. You know, I always crack up when you see a church sign that says miracle healing service, seven to nine, <laughs> like the Holy Spirit's got it on the calendar. Um, And that's just ridiculous to me. And so we don't know what God's going to do. We're not responsible for the results. We're responsible to be obedient. And I think that those people who came forward, they're telling God, okay, I'm ready for this to change. And now that allows God to be ready to work in their lives. And so give it time. Um, You know, so much of what's happening and going to happen in their life started in that moment. But that's why I talked about the healing that took place in my life over a year and a half I had five years of suffering, immense suffering, and it took a year and a half of healing. And it was a process of going to a counselor, going to doctors, um, and, and ultimately going for spiritual healing. And there was a lot of things that I had to do to change what it was that I was experiencing. And so I think that, you know, when we... When we look at the miracles of Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus is a supernatural phenomenon. He's the Son of God and has power and authorities that we just don't have and can command based upon his own will healing. We can't do that. We can't command it. We can ask for it, but we can't command it. We can't mandate it, and so Jesus can. And so I think it's important that we realize that's why we worship him and not us is because he's the one who's in authority over who gets the miracle and, uh, and, and he's ultimately has the understanding, which is, again, true acts of worship are not that I worship God because he is good. I worship him because he is God. And so just because maybe I didn't get what I wanted doesn't mean that he isn't God and he isn't still good. And so we have to work through that process. But um, I just think so oftentimes healing begins, according to James, when we get real and we come before the elders. And so he talks about we didn't talk about uh, we talked about the healing process. We didn't talk about the confession piece. And so James correlates confession with healing. And those two are married in, in a certain sort of way. And that's not to say that everybody who's sick is sinful um, or, or wrong, but oftentimes there's a process that God wants us to experience so that we can change. And so like when you read the story of Job, we talked about, the Bible says Job was a righteous man. That's how, that's how the book opens. And we find out that he's not righteous as we compare him to God. He's righteous in comparison to other human beings he is morally superior to anyone that he knew, anyone that was around him. But in the end, he was completely sinful in front of God's eyes and mm-hmm. had to deal with that. And you know, the pride of Job in his righteousness was self-righteousness and he had to be broken of that. And ultimately then God allowed this tremendous healing to take place in his life. And so I think that that's, that's key. So not everyone who's sick or diseased, it's the result of sin. It's the result of the consequences of sin Period. Not something specific They've you've done. done. All disease, all disaster is a result of God's judgment on the earth. Romans eight makes that clear. The whole earth is subject to the judgment of God because of the sin that we uh, have chosen. You know, both our sin, you know, the sin that we commit, and the sins that others commit. And so, um, that's just the reality of living in a fallen world. And so, we can ask for God to preemptively heal us because the Bible says ultimately all ills will be healed. Everything will be made right. Uh, The earth will be cleansed. People's bodies will be made right. There will be healing. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. So ultimately, all our prayers are answered. The request for a miracle is a preemptive strike in terms of answering the prayer. So. I love
1: that description, man. For those of you guys, if you're listening and you maybe you weren't here or whatever, one of the things that I love that we're uh, beginning to do now at all of our services at all of our locations every single weekend, we are closing the services just with the invitation to come forward for prayer with our ministers and prayer team members. Um, you know, so as other folks are leaving, I'm I'm really excited about that. So hopefully, some more of this can continue on throughout uh, out the year. Well, hey, this is uh, episode one, so we've. Already got a couple of questions, and uh, because you're already getting ready to preach Luke chapter six, uh, most of the questions that we've got uh, received so far for the show have come in from some of the earlier parts of Luke chapter one. So uh, let me hit you with some of these. This is a great one from Luke chapter one, uh, and this came in from Lindsay. She talked about in verse twelve that Zechariah uh, was afraid, and the Bible said it was over, he was overwhelmed with fear when he sees the angel appear to him in a temple. And then they have this conversation, and she asked, "Why don't?" we hear about angels appearing in this way to people anymore?
0: Well, um, I would say Lindsay needs to listen to my sermons because I've talked about uh, my specific encounter with an angel, and um, it was terrifying. It was one of the most frightening experiences of my life, and it was specifically in regards to a young man in our church who had taken his life. Um, uh, he committed suicide, and I was asked to, to um, uh, what do you call it, do the funeral, right. and his father asked me a specific question. He said, is my son in hell? And that's a very, very difficult question to answer because his son's last act on earth was sin. Uh, take, tr- taking your own life is, you know, murdering yourself. And so um, that's a difficult question to answer. And ultimately, we we never know the answer specifically. You know, we're not God. We don't know the situation. We don't know what's going on. Um, I believe that God is certainly, you know, gracious and merciful, Uh, and loving, but I was really torn up and I didn't know how to answer that question specifically for this person. And so I went to sleep that night and I was awoken um, in the middle of the night and there was an entity. That's the only way to describe it. You know, it's so, it's so funny. My kids always ask me to tell me what it looked like. And there aren't, there's no descriptors Mm. here to describe what I saw. Um, But it was powerful. It had form. It didn't have form. um, And it spoke and it said he is with us you know and um and and what i believe it was it was an angel of the lord and he was telling me that stephen was in heaven with god and to preach that and to teach that and uh and then he told me to go to sleep and not, and he actually said don't be afraid because i was terrified <laughs> absolutely terrified and uh it was a, it was the most powerful manifestation of, uh, anything spiritual that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've experienced things, I have felt things, I've heard things, but that's the only time in my life where I actually saw it. And so it was terrifying and it it was scary. And, um, you know, I think part of the reason that, um, um, you know, Zechariah is, um, silenced is he's got to process that for, for nine months or however long it was until John is born. Because for me, it was several months before I even shared that experience with somebody because it was so overwhelming and so powerful. And, um, but angels are terrifying. They're they're warriors of God. They're messengers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, um, you know, so often the depictions of what we see in uh, non-Christian uh, philosophy and thinking, angels are little chubby bunnies and they're cute and cuddly. And uh, the Book of Revelation says there's an angel who chains the devil. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that that angel. Is somewhat intimidating. So you know, those are my thoughts on
1: that. that. That angel does CrossFit or something. Yeah. Um, all right, man, here we go. These these are this is great. Uh okay, we got another one. Um, also in Luke chapter one. So later on, basically because Zachariah responded, kind of didn't believe the angel when the angel um said your wife's gonna be pregnant and you guys are super old and all that stuff. Um This is what the angel says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. And that's Luke chapter one, verse 20. So here's the question. How can we like have greater faith when we're hearing God say really challenging things to us?
0: Yeah. You know, I think the first question is how do I discern when it's God and verse when when it's me? And so kind of the measuring tool that I always use is I'm always suspect of believing it's God's voice when it's something I want to do, hmm. um, because my, my question is why would God prompt me to do something I already want to do? Right. Typically, the prompting of the Holy Spirit is to cause me and to lead me to do things that I don't want to do uh, and that I'm resistant to. And so, so the first question is how do we discern God's Spirit? Um, the second question is is how is how do we have more faith on that? And, and the bottom line is. We got to trust God in the little things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, because we don't know everything about Zechariah's life. I mean, you know, all that we know about him is contained in a, in a few verses, that there were many, many times where, you know, he had encountered God, met God, heard from God, and was obedient to God. And so the expectation by God here was, look, you have a, you have a track record of listening, of being obedient, uh, of following me. And so the expectation is that you're going to do this. And because of his lack of obedience, there's a consequence. Um, and I think that's important I don't know if I answered your question specifically
1: no I think I think it sounds right so the first part is really checking um where is this coming from do I is this something I want to do and if it's not then there's a greater likelihood that this is really something God's prompting you to do let's say that's the circumstance is what yeah how do you respond then if God says something really cha- really challenging to you like that could range from everything to you know I'm the young adult here coming here and I'm hearing God through the sermon and reading the scriptures challenge me challenging me to sexual purity and that's a big challenge because I'm in a dating relationship and right. I'm single or maybe I'm here and uh, I've got a couple kids and all these things and I hear that God is challenging believers to you know give back 10 percent of their income and that's really challenging because money is tight how do we have just like respond in greater faith to these challenges um, instead of just responding in immediate disbelief like Zachariah did Zechariah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think that human nature is always to doubt um, and to struggle and to wrestle. I mean, Mary questions the same thing. How can this be? Mm. So I think God is gracious to Mary because she's a young girl. Zechariah is an old man. <laughs> and so, uh, right, God is going to hold us accountable based upon, you know, our maturity and our, our, our spiritual um Uh, Makeup at that particular time. And so what I would say is, is God is going to be gracious to you at the level that you're at. And so the more you mature and the more you grow, you know, the more um, immediate your response needs to be. So what I would say is this, is God has not asked us to do easy things. Um, So he, you know, tithing 10%, uh, which is something that I've done uh, for, I don't know, about the last 25 years of my life. It's just something that I trust God in and believe God in and have seen the fruits of that. And I enjoy, I enjoy giving to the Lord. For some people, that's going to be a hard thing, but you just have to ask yourself, you know, is my faith real or not? There's what I want to do and there's what God wanted me to do. So Zechariah is told you're going to have a kid. And oh, by the way, he's not Zechariah Jr. His name's John. So you're going to have this kid and you don't even get to name him what you want. So um, I think that's huge. But sexual purity, what, what I would say is, you know, how do I know when it's God's spirit? if there's a scripture that speaks directly to it, like being sexually pure, that's God's spirit. And so you need to be obedient to that. And, and I think that what you need to do is get in community and help people help you to figure out how to be obedient to that. And, and by community, I mean, there needs to be mature community because a lot of people come up to me and say, well, I'm called to ministry. Well, okay, we all are. Mm-hmm. How specifically is God calling you to ministry? Because he hasn't called you to be a pastor if he's not given you leadership. If you don't have leadership skills you're not going to be a pastor. Everyone's called to ministry. Everyone's called to serve. And so that's the thing I think a lot of people wonder. And that's the other thing is they feel like God's calling them to a greater level of service, but they're not exactly sure how to serve. And so that's a process of being coming real with yourself and learning what your strengths are and what your gifts are and how you can utilize those to best serve God.
1: Got it. So, um, man, for those of you guys that are listening, if you're, if you're not plugged into community or anything, man, we'd love to help you do that. You can, you can do that on your own. Just go into sandalschurch.com and click the button that says get involved. And we can help you figure out something that's right for you, whether you want to join the group or join the team or whatever. Um, if, if not, man, just, uh, stop by on the weekends at any of our campuses, just the welcome centers at the main campus or uh, any of the tents outside on the patios at either Woodcrest or East Valley. We want to help you get plugged in there. Okay, uh, here's a question from Luke chapter three. I love this one. It comes from um, Ethan, who's in one of our young adult guys groups led by Dane. And I'm just going to read this one from uh, what Dane's wrote in. Said a couple guys in my group are wondering about the genealogies of Jesus. The gospels of Luke and Matthew both open with different genealogies of Jesus, but they're slightly different. They are actually uh, mostly wondering why they're the genealogies of Joseph and not Mary, since Joseph isn't actually related to Jesus in any way and had nothing to do with his birth. Therefore, none of the people mentioned are really Jesus's ancestors. They're kind of just like step ancestors. So what what's going on there? Can you help us figure yeah. this
0: out? Well, the genealogies are, are 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 a point of confusion that often need clarity. So they are different. Um, I think Matthew has 42 people in the lineage of Jesus, and I think Luke has 70-something, I think 77. So Luke actually mentions people that are not mentioned anywhere in the Bible in the lineage of Jesus. And so as we look at you know the the differences between these two, a lot of scholars try to reconcile that. And so let me give you a couple of thoughts um, and then give you my thought. So the first thought is, is that Matthew's uh, account of the lineage of Jesus is the... Um, Kind of uh, political lineage of Jesus, you'll notice that kings are mentioned. Mm-hmm. Hezekiah, you know David. Uh, a lot of these kings, a lot of the big names we see, um, you know, in 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 that lineage. And so it's kind of the, uh, the the political lineage of Jesus, and it goes back to Abraham. So it's it goes all the way back to Abraham, and then Luke's uh, account goes all the way back to Adam, and so. Right before, in since we're in Luke 3, it says that Jesus Christ was baptized by John, and God the Father spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then as he opens the account of uh, the, the lineage of, of Jesus, it says, Joseph, the supposed, in ESV, the supposed son of Jesus. And so it's acknowledging that, you know, Jesus does not get his DNA from Joseph. And so some people think that Luke may be Mary's lineage. So that's her lineage. Hmm. And so there's a couple reasons, you know, that they they would negate that. One is just cultural sensitivity. I mean, women were not valued and esteemed at the level that men were. And so the question is, what is the male lineage? And so what may have happened there is Jesus and and, and Joseph and Mary from a small town from Nazareth. And so what may have happened is um, Mary's father may not have had any sons. So he could have adopted legally Joseph as his son and then you know, married in that way. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen there for the discrepancy. Sometimes brothers, if one brother died, um, his responsibility would be to um, uh, m- marry his uh, his brother's wife. Okay. And then the children, although they would be his biologically, would be accredited to his brother. It's okay. his brother's line. And so there's all kinds of confusion there. So we're not exactly sure, but some people think that, that maybe... It's one of Joseph's brothers is the difference. Others people think that it's uh, it's Mary's lineage all the way back to um, um, uh, Adam, Adam. The, the son of God. And so, and what I would say is, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Okay. You know, uh, Luke is not alive. We can't interview him as to why they're different. Matthew's not alive. Um, I think my, my opinion is, is that Matthew is writing about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And so he's trying to, Create a case for the uh, kingly lineage of Jesus in Matthew, and so that's why you see so many of the kings mentioned. Um, and then I think Luke is trying to make the argument for the new creation, the new Adam, uh, new life. Right? He's going to write Acts. We need to be, you know, we need to be changed, and so he's writing for this new world, this new creation. And so that's why I think he goes all the way back to Adam. But we don't know. I mean, they don't write commentaries on what they wrote. We just have right. the gospels, and everybody else guesses. And so a lot of people think they know we don't know. Okay. So uh, here, here's a question on that.
1: I think maybe somebody listening right now could almost have their mind blown a little bit, right? Here you are, this pastor saying, I don't know necessarily what this part of the Bible is uh, or or means or why it's written this way. How, how, how should we handle that in the scriptures if there's something we don't understand? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I think the first responsibility of a Christian is be obedient to what you do understand. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I believe that, If God wants me to know what the genealogies mean, he'll reveal that to me at some other time. And so um, I think the genealogies meant something specific to the original audience that for whatever reason has gotten lost over time. So there was a reason that those things needed to be there then to establish the case for Christ. And for whatever reason throughout time, that has become less important for those of us now Um, And and, and we don't know. We we don't know why there's differences. We don't know why. I mean, Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy. Luke doesn't start it until chapter 3. And so, you know, they just do it different ways. And so, um, yeah, I would just say you're never going to fully understand everything about Scripture. You're just not. There's going to be some things that you just don't understand. So don't worry about that because I don't think God has called us to understand absolutely everything.
1: Uh, I love that. I love that. Okay. I got two two questions here, two more, and these are both going to come from Luke chapter four, which you preached on uh, two weeks ago. And both of these questions came from Jesse's group. So Jesse, thanks for sending these in. Uh, first one is from Ryan. And he basically just said, how can Jesus be tempted? And you talked about the Jesus was out in the desert, the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, how could Jesus be tempted if he's God?
0: Right. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of pastors who are going to disagree with me on this point. And um, I mean, I remember I went to Baptist seminary and and had a Baptist pastor that taught my class on this and say that Jesus Christ was never really tempted, and he believes that. I think he's absolutely wrong. Um, specifically, where's the verse? Hebrews 4:15. I wanted to get the verse exactly. It says that we do not have a high priest who does not understand us, for he was tempted in every way that we are. And so Jesus Christ was tempted so that he could understand what it's he could understand the human experience. And so it had to be real tempting. So how theologically do, do we make that work? And so it really comes down to our understanding of who Jesus is. And so Christians had to fight for this. And it it got really ugly for about 300 years as to exactly who Jesus is. And we went back and forth before it was finally settled that Jesus is both God and man. Mm -hmm. And that he's not confused. He wasn't half God, half man, but he was fully God and fully man. And those were all kinds of councils, and you can study all of that. But they finally came to this understanding that in somehow, some way, uh, Jesus Christ's divinity uh, was not lost. He was still God, but he was had become completely human. And so there's there's all kinds of nuances into figuring that out. But Jesus Christ, as a man, could be tempted. Jesus Christ, as God, could never be tempted. And so it is the man Christ Jesus that enters into the tempting. So how does that work? Philippians two. Uh, verses uh, 5 through 11 talk about, gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us this picture, right, of of the process by which Jesus Christ became a human being. So the Gospels just announce it, that he was born. Matthew says he's God with us, but doesn't elaborate on that. Luke says he's God's son and doesn't really elaborate on that process. It's not until the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians kind of what that looked like. And it says that Jesus Christ is did not grasp onto deity. So he released it. He didn't hold on to it, but he humbled himself and he submitted himself to becoming a slave. That's the word. Right. And so what kind of slave was he? Human being. And so that's just a, a contrast word from his royalty to his humanity. And that's the best way that we can understand. You know, he went from, you know, the ancient audience from Julius Caesar to a slave. And so he went from all rights to no rights. And he humbled himself to this process by which he entered into the human experience and had to go through everything that we do. What's miraculous about Jesus is that he was tempted just like we are, and I shared this in the message, way more than we are, Mm -hmm. way more. I mean, he was starving. We talked about this. He was weak. Mm -hmm. He was hungry. I mean, he literally was dying. When you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're in the process of death, Mm -hmm. and Satan personally tempted him for 40 days. I mean, this is like, right, an all-out spiritual onslaught. And Jesus was all alone in this. And that's the thing that's amazing about Jesus is that he endured the temptation as a human being, as a man. Um, And he limited his divinity so that he would have to overcome that process as a human being. He did what Adam couldn't do. He said no. Mm -hmm. Adam was perfect, but he still failed. He was created sinless and then sinned. Jesus resisted it and and. And he overcame the temptation of the fruit. Here it is. Here it is. You know, same same strategy, just different apples, I guess, um, in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we have three specific ones, but the Bible says it was for 40 days. So we don't know everything that he was tempted about. But Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that we are. So it was pretty extensive.
1: Right. So. Man, one of the things I just love so far about your responses to these questions is that there really is a lot of... I, I, it's not like perfectly nailed down on all these other, on all of these things. And just this willingness to be real about saying, man, we don't have all this figured out. Yeah, We're And I think
0: that there's a really unhealthy, there's a really unhealthy desire to know everything. So one of the verses that people quote is uh, it's in Corinthians. God is not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, God's not confused, but we are. And so, um, you know, and that verse is completely taken out of context because what it's speaking to is orderly worship services, so don't get crazy. Don't be bizarre. And so they take that verse and say, well, there's no confusion. Therefore, we're going to understand absolutely everything. And that's why you have, you know, I'm a Baptist. You have 253 different denominations of Baptists because everybody thinks they know exactly what God meant. Well, if that was true, we wouldn't have 253 versions of Baptists. You know, that doesn't mention Lutherans, you know, uh, evangelicals. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mention Catholics and Orthodox and all these other groups that don't even agree with the 253 Baptists. Mm-hmm. And so... I just think it's really, really dangerous. And um, you know, I love what Mark Driscoll says about the things that we're, we're close fisted with, and we could do a podcast on what those things are. What, what are the things that make you a Christian? And then what are the things that are open-handed? These are the things that we believe, but we're not, we're not 100% on. Right. And so um, you know, I just think that, I, I don't want to say that I'm close fisted on this, but I really do believe Christ was really tempted. It, sure. it just, it's not helpful to me in any way, shape, or form if it was a quasi-tempting. Because I'm not quasi tempted, I'm really, really tempted. tempted. So
1: right, okay. Well, here's a. This is our final question, and it totally lines in. And this is from uh, Grace and Jesse's group, and she just asked about what's what's the distinction between being tempted and sinning.
0: Right. So, I, I think that the answer to that question is is a lot more complex than I I, I would wish. But the answer is is we're sinners.
3: Okay. So
0: I I think that we oftentimes we think of of. Sin simply is something that we do as opposed to something that we are. And so um, hmm. it's, it's really hard to, to delineate, um, you know, when is the exact moment when I slip from sin, uh, from temptation to sin? And so, um, you know, James says that we are drawn to temptation because we're sinners, right? So um, that's, that, that's why. I mean, we. so in, in Jesus' case, right, the devil tempted him. James says, in our case— we tempt,
2: excuse me. <laughs> we tempt
0: ourselves. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, we, we tempt ourselves. We do the tempting. We don't need Satan to tempt us because we handle that on our own. Um, so for me, um, I'm going to share a, a deeply personal experience. Is is I think we all face temptation. So what I would say is, when is the temptation ceased to be sin? And it's when we leave it. And so I remember when I was I was dating uh, uh, my girlfriend before uh, Tammy and. We were in a... Um, Tammy's your wife now, for those who don't know. Tammy's my wife. We were, we were in a, uh, uh, a sexual relationship. We were, not, we were not walking in accordance with Scripture. And I had um, given my life to Christ and was, was trying to figure out a way out of this relationship. And I remember one specific instance where we were at a house alone and it was just us and the opportunity was ripe um, for sexual temptation. Uh, she was willing and I was wanting And that was a problem. And I remember a specific moment when, okay, I can't have sex. It's here. I want to do this. But I also remember I have a desire to not do this and follow Jesus. And I remember this moment very clear when I told her, I said, I have to go. And I just got up and left. So I was tempted, but I believe in that moment I was victorious. And as I left, I believe I ceased to sin because I walked away from it mm. and, and, I, and I left that. And so what I would say is the victory, I, I wouldn't categorize it as when is it sin and when is it temptation. I would say the victories are, and what we need to celebrate are, those moments when we walk away from temptation, because um, I think we need to celebrate that and encourage that and um, you know, praise God for those moments, because I think we all feel so bad about the fact that we were tempted. And I, I shared in the message, look, you got to get over that. You know, the only way you're not going to be tempted is when you're dead. And so we're all tempted in different ways. Um, you know, I love the way that you talk about food. It cracks me up because <laughs> I do not look at food the way that you look at food, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, I had no idea when we were at that meal the other night that there was a potential cupcake at the bottom of the, <laughs> the ice cream. But that was a real moment for you. Yeah, you know? I pay
1: attention to those. Uh, yeah, yeah, decisions. and
0: I miss that. Um, so we're all tempted. We're all tempted with different things and and, and temptation Takes very, very different forms for us, but we need to celebrate those moments when, you know, if we, um, you know, are gluttonous or if we're a liar, you know, and we tell the truth. I was so tempted to lie and so tempted to make up a story, but I told the truth, man. And I think we need to celebrate those moments. Uh, I was so tempted to look at porn where I was all by myself or, or I, I started and I quit and I, I abandoned it. You know, I think we need to celebrate those moments. Some of the greatest moments um, for me at Sandals Church as a pastor I remember one guy just greeting people in the lobby, he said, Pastor, it's been six days since I looked at porn. Mm-hmm. It's like, praise God for that. Praise God for that because he's saying no to this temptation. And in many cases, you know, when we repeatedly sin, it's no longer temptation, it's an addiction, mm-hmm. and we're addicted to it, and we've mm-hmm. got to completely change our behaviors. And so... At this point, are you talking about me and cupcakes? No. I'm, I'm, my heart is like on fire right now. So. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, temptation is when we're, we're tempted to... Um, you know, pursue something that's sin. So for me, you know, temptation is not noticing a woman uh, who's beautiful or not seeing a woman saying, well, that she's gorgeous. You know, the temptation is to meditate on that, focus on that, desire that, Mm -hmm. wish that my wife was that. That's when it becomes sin for me. And so for me, you know, what I do is I just say, well, she's beautiful. And I walk away,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, because, you know, I'm dead if I don't notice. So, but uh, I'm a sinner if I indulge that temptation and, and, you know, try to progressively go further. So I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know if I'm answering that question. That's a really, really tough question. What I would say, whatever the sin is, the Bible says run from it. Mm-hmm. So don't wonder. And if you're wondering, is this temptation or is this a sin? I would run. That, I think that's the biblical. I think that's the sound advice is to run from anything that you feel like isn't pleasing to God. You know, Paul says to Timothy, run from your youthful lusts. So, anything that stimulates actually is the word that he uses. So, anything that arouses you, anything that excites you, anything that draws you away from um, God's will for your life, you need to run from that because the chances are you're not going to be victorious and you're going to slip, you're going to fall, you're going to blow it. And so, um, and that leads down to a whole other path, you know, of, of thinking and feeling. And I just would encourage people to not have to embrace that. So, but whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in your life, have Christians in your life that you can share to. So I think the beauty of this week's service was when we were overwhelmed with need, we had to have people just step up and pray. And I think that hopefully that awakened in our church this reality that the Holy Spirit is in all of us, mm-hmm. and we can all pray, we can all minister, we can all hear a confession, and we can all offer forgiveness if there's repentance. We, we can all do this in the name of Jesus and so you don't need to talk to me. You don't need to talk to a minister. You need to talk to a mature Christian who loves God and loves you. And if they meet those two requirements, I think they can hear your confession, and you will be, you'll be blessed. But um, you know, don't beat yourself up, you know, when you're tempted, because I think we we live in a world that just it, it, temptation is everywhere. I mean, I, I obviously it's a political season, and so I'm on Fox News and CNN, and every time there's there's literally pictures of women in scantily clothed you know outfits and i'm on the new i'm i'm looking at news <laughs> right. you know i want to find out who won the iowa caucus right. and and here this is and it's just like that's our world our world is is everything is sex everything is sin and it's just you know it's it's really really rough and so we need to be open and honest about that
1: awesome uh man i'm super excited about where this debrief podcast is going to go. Thanks for making the time to make this happen. And if you guys have questions that you want to get to Pastor Matt, just reach out to your community group leader this week. Let them know uh, what you're wondering and we'll get those questions from your group leaders on the show. If you're not plugged into a group yet, man, reach out, uh, to us on the weekends. We'd love to help you get plugged in. This is the kind of conversations I think that happen in, uh, most of our, or many of our community groups anyway. So man, we're super excited to have you guys on this journey. We're obviously still kind of figuring it out, uh, with the podcast, but, uh, that was awesome. All
0: right. Thanks guys for listening. I love you. And, uh, I hope that you are growing in 252 in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God, in favor with men. That is our prayer for you. And uh, there's no better way to change your story than to learn Jesus' story. So love you guys.
1: Well, hey guys, thanks so much for listening to episode number one of The Debrief. Man, we are obviously still just figuring out this whole podcast thing for... Uh, making this happen every single week. If you have got feedback about the podcast, you think it was too long, too short, think we needed more jokes, want my address so you can send me cupcakes, anything like that, do me a favor, send me an email this week. I'm Justin P as in Papa at Sandalsearch.com. So Justin P at Sandalsearch.com. I don't know. What's the Alpha Bravo Charlie version of the letter P? I'm going with Papa. I'm Justin P at sandalsearch.com and I'd love to get your feedback on the debrief. See you guys next week.